Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. Quick reminder, Amazon affiliates on the heyhumanpodcast.com front homepage. If you click on the portal for Amazon and go shopping at Amazon like you normally would, it helps support Hey Human Podcast, which is a wonderful thing. Also, rate and review Hey Human on iTunes. The more uh, it gets rated and reviewed, the more likely more people will hear it, which is, of course, the ultimate goal of a podcast. Keep sharing it with your friends and family and coworkers. Help spread the word and the love. Um, Social media, Hey Human Podcast on Insta and Facebook. And I'm on Twitter, Susan Ruthism, so you can find me there. And yeah, heyhumanpodcast.com, of course, as you know, is the website. And you can always email me, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. Love to hear your thoughts. Um, Love to know of anybody you think I might want to talk to um, that you think is interesting, has a cool story or a weird story or or whatever. Um, Yeah, bring bring it on. (laughs) All right, so on this episode, I had the delightful experience of speaking with Wade McCollum, uh, we were over FaceTime because he was, I think he might have been in New York at the time. He travels around a lot for what he does, which is he is an actor and a director and a composer and a writer and a really fun, funny, sweet man. Uh, I've had a delightful time speaking with him. And of course, for links to some of the stuff we talked about, we'll be on heyhumanpodcast.com on the links page. Yeah, that's what I got. And... So thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy, and wherever you are, much love. Here we go. Hello, Wade McCollum. How are you? Susan Ruth. I'm fantastic. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. (laughs) And you're in New York currently? I am looking out the window in Queens where I live. It's lovely. And it's super cold and snowy and dreary? (laughs) It's actually bright and freezing. Yeah, I like yeah. Your, your toque, your hat. Oh, thanks. Yeah, this is a Van Wilde original hat. We went and got this together. Yasmina. Um, very cool. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and that is how we met, was through Yasmin. Yeah. Uh, she's she's awesome. She's, yeah. She's yeah. great. She's a lot of energy going in every different direction. It's fun. It's so true. She is a creative powerhouse, to it's say true. the least. Super yeah. fun. So yeah. she connected us for various reasons uh and but yeah, i i really i'm fascinated by your story it's so interesting you are a an award-winning actor and yeah. not just an actor but an actor because you do broadway <laughs> your your theater which i think i've always felt that theater is so much different than movie i think about that like if i were going to be oh my nose is running how embarrassing <laughs> If I was, it's cold here too. If I was gonna, I feel like TV, for example, filmed in, a lot of times in front of a studio audience. I mean, I guess a lot of them aren't, but you know, the comic ones, the stuff I'm drawn to are. And then movies, you've got somebody that could probably give you lines. When you're on a stage in the theater, you you have to know everything inside and out, and that seems terrifying to me. Yeah, there is an element of terror because anything can happen. I think that's part. 
part of the dynamism of live performance in general, whether it's theater or a concert or whatever it might be, you know, you know, the audience and the performer know that anything could happen. Yeah. <laughs> I think that sort of, it does, it fuels a really a dynamic um, type of performance that does not necessarily exist in film or TV. However, I would argue that good film and TV tries to capture that same danger or spontaneity. Um, difference being obviously that it only has to happen once. You don't have to sort of recreate it over and over. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm drawn to the scripts of films where you can tell the directors let the and the writers let the actors do what they want, you know, have more room to to be spontaneous. But are you allowed that spontaneity in a play? I, I would imagine not. It depends on the play, you know, when you're doing like Wicked on Broadway, no. Like, you know, it's a machine, there's t tons of people, and, uh, you know, they're always replacing people, there's always, you know, swings, there's universal swings that fly from city. there's nine productions of Wicked, so there's universal swings that fly from London to Australia to New York to just understudy the choral part, so they'll just come in and you meet them, Maybe sometimes I wouldn't even meet the person and I'd be acting opposite them. So it, the consistency is pretty darn important because you're acting opposite people you might not have met. Wow. And there's like people in the show. It's ginormous. So, so out of necessity, some of those larger, long-running Broadway shows, they need to run consistently and they need to, you need to stay on your, you know, on your mark and do exactly the same thing basically every night. However, And you know, still make it look... In the moment, which is also a feat of ingenuity. Yeah. It's true. I mean, that's really the craft of theater acting, right? Is, you know, you got it. You have to memorize everything. You know your pattern and get it down and be able to replicate it. But then the craft of it is infusing after you've done it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, maybe for years, is still infusing it, even though you do it eight to ten times a week, with the fact that it's happening for the first time every single time. And that is the craft, is kind of getting yourself in that innocent mind space where, you know, what's coming at you and what's happening, what's coming out of your mouth has never happened before, even though it might have just happened at the matinee that afternoon. <laughs> yeah, it's really intriguing to me. So we jumped right in. Let's go backwards a little bit. Let's start from little Wade. <laughs> when you were a youngin, did you always want to go into theater and movies and that sort of thing? How did you, what was your progression? How did you get there? Why? All those good questions. Mm, that's a great, uh, yeah. It's complex, of course. Um, I was born into rock and roll, so my dad's a drummer, oh. and so I, I, they had me while they were on the road, and they just basically decided to take me along, and so for the first five years of my life, I didn't, I didn't stay, there was no house, um, and two weeks, three weeks was about the longest we stayed in one place, yeah. so I, I sort of got to know my world as sort of a North American gypsy. And, uh, and what rock band? And Can you say what band? Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, Foolish Pleasure when I was first born. And then Tracer was a band that he joined when I was about three. Okay. And, you know, just, you know, bar band, basically, all over North America, Canada, and the States. And a lot of one-nighters, sometimes, you know, a week or two or three week long gig. But mostly just one-nighters or weekends. And um, so that's how my dad made a living. And so in terms of making a living as an artist, that was obviously demonstrated to me. And and in terms of playing music, it was just everyone around me was always just playing music and just picking up instruments. So I never had this idea that you had to like learn an instrument. Um, 
though I know that, you know, one obviously must. Uh, as a kid, I just sort of would pick anything up and play it. So I have this sort of um, musical propensity based, based on just living around a lot of rock and roll when I was young. So music was sort of inherent and sort of a baseline. And then I was always, <laughs> I was always very theatrical and very strange and... Um, and sort of found my way into the theater. We moved to Ashland, Oregon. And I know you are from Seattle. My parents and so, used to take me to the Shakespearean Festival every ah, year in Ashland. It was the best. So, so the short answer is that's why I'm an actor. Because I went to school in Ashland, Oregon. And they came into our middle school. And, and uh, you know, they were like, you, that guy's weird and so I started writing plays and one-man shows and um, started seeing things at Oregon Shakespeare Festival then they ended up teaching our high school drama class and I I got so it was so clear to me once I did my first play with Kirk Boyd who is um, the associate artistic director of Oregon Shakes I was about 15 14 or 15 we did a play called a company of wayward saints by George Herman and I had been sort of a national debate champion. I'd really liked uh, speech and debate. And I've never done a play yet. I'd written a lot and sort of, like I said, been very theatrical and done a lot of monologues, but had never done a play. And uh, auditioned for this play, got into the play, and it totally transformed my life. You know, it was sort of a typical first, first show kind of story. But once I did it, I thought, oh, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, obviously. And so I... I dropped out of high school and went to a performing arts conservatory and graduated when I was 19. And I just, I've been a professional actor ever since. And because of the music, the music has sort of been a bed underneath my acting the whole time. So I'm always writing songs and composing and so forth and so on. But that that's sort of how I came to the theater. And, you know, not to go on to, to wax too long about it, but it, it came at such a critical moment in my development, as I think it does for many, where I didn't know exactly what I was going to do with my life, and I was pretty despondent. And the theater, and, you know, my personal life was sort of in shame. There was a lot going on. There was a lot of drama. As a, as and, a teenager, you mean? Yeah, as okay. a 14-, 15-year-old, there was just lots of drama. And, and it became my... Uh, my refuge. And... It was really a saving grace for me and the community that I found in the theater and the, the creative fulfillment I felt both through the medicine of being in a play and also what I felt the audience was receiving from the work we were doing. It felt so completely profoundly healing on all fronts that I thought there's nothing else I want to do with my life. This is what I want to devote my life to. And so in a way it sort of saved my life and then infused the rest of my life with, uh, with a lot of purpose. So it's an incredible communion to be on stage and to have the audience looking up at you and that, that flow of energy. It's really indescribable, but a communion is the closest word I can come to the feeling of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So being shaped by creatives, had your parents not been creatives themselves, do you think you would have gone in that direction? Or do you think there's something to be said for the fact that you were surrounded by it? Because a lot of times, you know, people end up Alex P. Keaton and they, <clears throat> their parents are one way and they go absolutely 100% the other way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really hard to tell. You know, it's 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 
I don't, I mean, it's like nature versus nurture kind of conversation. And I feel like, I do feel like I came in the way I came in to mm-hmm. the, to the world and that, that I had sort of a prescriptive energy and a creative soul. And so I do believe that no matter what the sort of out picturing of my familial situation was, I would have, I would have found my way to the theater or to some sort of expressive creative art form. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it, it doesn't seem like a choice to me and it doesn't seem like I was nurtured to be that way. Though I would say there are things that I creative, creative things like picking up a musical instrument and playing it without having to know how mm-hmm. that sort of came, came easier perhaps because I was raised by creative people. Um, so I think, you know, I think it's both and it really seems like kids come in the way they are, you know, mm-hmm. and the parents, you know, it's sort of like neither here nor there. They'll sort of find their, hopefully find their way to their destiny. Yeah, I agree with that. Your parents, I assume, were okay with you pursuing the dramatic arts? Yeah, yeah. You know, they um, absolutely supported me in, 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 in myriad ways. The I think, you know, like any parents, they were concerned with practicalities. You know, will this make a living? Will, you know, will he be okay? And... Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, it's a legitimate concern. I still have that concern for myself. Yeah, every creative does. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not like we get into these fields because we think we're going to be super, but most most of the creatives I know, at least, it's not like it's about the money. It's not. It's it's about the, you can't not do it. Well, yeah. You know? Yeah, 100%. So that first play you stepped on stage, was it a big part that you auditioned for when you were a teen or was it a smaller part? Yeah, it was a, a small ensemble play. So I think there was maybe eight people in it. it was, the narrative was distributed pretty evenly throughout the eight people. And it was a Commedia dell'arte piece, so um, which is sort of like an old Italian improvisational comedy form. And so there's these sort of stock characters and I played the Capitano, which is sort of this... Um, He's typically a soldier, has a lot of bravado. His comedy comes from, he's sort of Trump, actually. <laughs> he's got a lot of, like, a lot of self-important ego inflation and needs a lot of attention. And his comedy comes from the sort of uh, over overblown self-importance. And then Like an Oscar Wilde character or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then his, his sort of sadness comes from uh, from a feeling of isolation and loneliness, and his regret in terms of um, the suffering he's caused um, through war and such. So, um, so it had both elements. It was very funny in the first act. It was very, very dramatic in the second act, and um, and it was about a community of actors putting on a play for the Duke. And so it had the play with a play within a play sort of situation. And yeah, it was so profound. I don't think there's any way I can really describe how profound it was. Um, all I know is that it motivated, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm much, much older now. So for the past 20 some odd years, it's all I've devoted my life to because of that. And it really was that magical healing thing that, that brought that on. Do you think since teenagers are developing at such a rapid rate and they're mirroring at such a constant rate with everything around them trying to figure out who they are and what they are um and then if you add acting into that mixture where you're constantly being someone else for a set amount of time couple like a month long of being this other person 
Do you think that creates um, a switch in the brain that makes you maybe a little bit more multiple personality than regular people that aren't actors? You know, because you have to become, it's almost like you have to allow your own true personality to vacate. Mm. Uh Yeah, I mean, yes, absolutely. Um, There is a, there is a practice of emptying out and allowing, you know, allowing the characters to, to sort of drive, drive for the duration of the performance or rehearsal, allowing the character to sort of drive the action. Um, though I would say a lot, a lot of acting is drawing on personal experiences too. So it's sort of a strange amalgamation of the two, sort of drawing from your own authentic personal experiences, deep personal experiences, and then sort of cross-applying those through empathy and compassion and imagination to somebody else's circumstances. So, you know, their life might be completely different from my own. And in fact, I, I really love playing characters who are very, very, very far from my own life experiences. And, and that beautiful challenge, the craft of, of an actor bridging, bridging your own personal life with somebody else's imagined life and bringing that character to life through, yeah, through sort of combining your empathy for their life and also things in your own life that do relate deeply to perhaps what, what they've experienced. Um, and, and then, you know, in that is sort of this dynamism of transformation. And as an actor, I'm, I'm really most interested in transformation. There are some actors, and this is neither bad nor good, it's neither here nor there, there are some actors who are more interested in sort of acting from a, um, a place that is similar to their own nature. Mm. You know, and I think a lot of film and TV actors um, have sort of figured out a way to really authentically embody characters that are very close to their own way of being. And that's awesome too, and and I do enjoy that. But but I feel as an actor, I, I I have a lot more fun if I'm transforming into somebody who, let's say, is like a ninety year old hermit who lives in the Antarctic woods. I mean, like you know, I really like the the exploration of something far from my own experience, and it, it um, it's fun to do all the research. You know, I've played like a biochemist, and I got to do all sort of biochemistry research and. So I, and uh, you know, I signed a Declaration of Independence in this play called Seventeen Seventy Six, and so I got to do all of this sort of you know research on early America, and you know, every project comes with its own sort of um, beautiful array of research and empathy and exploration and imagination. What a great career for a curious mind! <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> That's bumper sticker. <laughs> do those characters then, in turn, especially as? I mean, I'm of the belief you never stop growing and challenging your mind and your personality and, you know, all these things and you're constantly being informed. Do the characters you play or even the characters you're playing around, the other people, um, have they shaped you as a human being in general? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. They become, you know, characters for me become friends. You know, they become allies or... And sometimes, in, in in the case if they are if they're an antagonistic character, sometimes they can play an antagonistic force in my own psyche or whatever. But but for the most part, I find that I befriend them, and and uh, and they they do. You know, they become like a song. You know, you say you, you, one can craft a song, and it becomes a part of you. You know, and and you work on it, and you perform it, and it it becomes a part of your 
own personal narrative and it also you know may inform the choices you make in the future based on what you learned through crafting and performing that tune and i feel similarly about characters that you know because it is a it's a craft of embodiment so you know you are you're taking on the 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 essence and the being of an, of another character and so yeah it's deep, it's going to deeply inform your perspectives and it does it shifts and and um hopefully makes one uh more empathetic you know that that to me is the 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 greatest invitation of the act of craft uh, craft of acting is empathy and compassion um of course entertainment is good too but yeah I, you know and then there's also in terms of does a character inform your life and all of that there are times where i've returned to characters i played uh, hedvig in hedvig in the angry inch um like more like tons and tons of times i did it in portland and in ashland and in los angeles and i just did lots and lots of productions of that in my 20s and that character really 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 greatly profoundly informed and impacted my life and and brought me so much abundance and so many gifts and it was such a great universe to it be in because it was rock and roll which my childhood was so infused with and it was you know this incredible gender exploration and just a really kickass complicated bizarre amazing catalyzing story and so that that story you know i got to do many many times and then other characters i have had the like shackleton which i just did here at second stage in new york city off broadway um i've done like five four or five productions playing ernest shackleton i was what, in the just, shackleton adventure uh-huh yeah the, That's the one Antar- of my all-time favorite books is his diary oh, gosh. The, i know there's a couple different versions of that book by different people but the one with the ship on the cover i've yeah, read that like six, six times yeah the yeah, endurance. endurance. It's such a good book. Oh my gosh. It's yeah. in my top 20 of all time. It's a fantastic Yeah, so I just book. did a, this two-person. You'd love the show. It's a two-person musical with Shackleton and a modern-day Brooklyn single mother composer and he comes through her refrigerator and takes her on his journey in Antarctica. Oh and it's quite incredible, very inventive. And if you want to watch it, it's on broadwayhd.com and they just put it back up. Um, Is that the one with you in it? Yeah, they did a seven-camera shoot. There's, like, crane shots. It's really well shot. The sound is really good. And our cast album is coming out at the beginning of February. The story of Shackleton's journey is mind-boggling. The, his capacity to manage the situation is extraordinary. Yeah. It's really a feat. To read it, you just it's, it's so triumphant reading that book. Yeah. Yeah. His descendant, Emily Shackleton, is a hit writer here in Nashville. Oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah, and I, I, when I met her the first time, we don't really know each other, when I met her the first time, I said, Shackleton, not a normal name, right? I said, Shackleton, I said, are you descendant from the Shackleton, as in the endurance? <laughs> and she sort of, she just sort of, yeah, like, no big deal. And I'm like, oh my god, I totally fangirled because I was... Not the music. I didn't care that she was a hit writer. I was so excited that she was a descendant of him. It's incredible. Yes, he is a remarkable, remarkable oh, soul who, yeah. who 
Yeah, and and you know, speaking of how a character informs one's life, you know, his I'm naturally optimistic. It's just who I am. I always have been, but his optimism it really takes it to a whole other level. And you know, he just playing him really showed me how you know how whiny I can be about stupid shit. You know, <laughs> it's so cold or whatever it might be. I think about yourself. that stuff a lot. I think about our you know our grandparents or our great grandparents depending what generations they were in and the things that they endured for example my grandfather who's long he passed away when i was quite young but his uh his journey and he died he was a hundred and something so he's been around a very long time and he escaped russia as a young boy and the journey that he endured in that as a 17 year old he spoke like 11 languages and he had to be able to become anyone at any given point because if you didn't, you could be killed, you know, uh, and he had stolen papers and he ate his shoe when he was hungry because there was no food and his shoe was made out of leather. And like, he wrote yeah. all these letters to my, my, my eldest brother or my older brother about the experience. And I often think if that were me today, I'd be like, no, God, you know, I, or maybe not, maybe the beauty of reading a book like The Endurance or knowing about these people like my grandfather or whatever is you know that humans really truly are resilient and we will yeah. rise to the occasion yes. and pushed. Yes. But there's my one of my other favorite books is Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he talks about being in the concentration camp and how... Um, Victor Frankl and how some people died and some people didn't and the one thing that was the difference was the concept of hope and you know you think about all this stuff and how many times depending on your belief system have we endured the things and come back and tried something new and it's just fascinating to me and you're so lucky because I the, the concept of reincarnation is fascinating to me I personally believe in it personally it makes sense to me but then I also look at one's life a singular life from birth to the you know the headstone the, the amount of times we reincarnate within that life singularly you know speaking yeah. all the different yeah. people we become and and all the different jobs we might have or you know just all that stuff it's fascinating and you get to do that all the time <laughs> which is so cool it is so cool. I feel so lucky. I, I really, every day I'm like, this is my job. It's so <laughs> extraordinary. And it's Wicked is when I went to see Wicked when it came here to Nashville. First of all, I had no idea that there was uh, roving casts like that. That's so cool. Yeah, nine. It makes sense. That, 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 but gosh, they must be extraordinary actors in their own right. To yeah, I mean. Like that. Yeah, those universal swings. I've never, I've never encountered anything like that, where people go from um, company to company and play. They're they're understudying twenty some odd parts, each of them, in nine different companies. So they have to know nine different tracks of twenty five different people, and how the, and every one is nuanced in a different way because of the theater that it's in, so forth and so on. You I have imagine such- them being in the middle of Wicked and saying, "Alas." Poor Yorick, I knew him. I'm like, Ron, play! (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Wicked, when I went to go see Wicked, speaking of that communion, I, I mean, I sobbed. My then boyfriend, we broke up a long time ago, he took me to see it, and uh, 
And he looked at me and said, why are you crying so much? And I said, I'm Alfaba, you know. (laughs) That's the thing. It's what we are you, you are us, you are the characters, the characters are us. It's this grand, beautiful circle of connection. It's so cool. Yeah, it really is. And doing that show every night and sometimes two or three times a day, um, at the Gershwin Theater, it's a ginormous Broadway house. And every single time the show happens people flip out and the response is just overwhelming Mm -hmm. and every time we did it even though it was hundreds and hundreds of times for me personally every time i got out there i could just all i could think of is like all of these young people especially young girls you know watching this incredible incredible musical about about empowerment and a, and a feminine rebel who is is shirking authority and saying no I have I have an ethical compass and I understand what is right and wrong and I'm going to stand up for it despite what the collective is doing and the bravery and the courage and you know I think I just I couldn't I couldn't get over how incredible the the story is and how much it was impacting people and empowering people especially young women and that to me is just like what could be more cool and more important than that and and you have a great time while that's happening awesome yeah, and it's very funny and and on top of being moving it's you know the the writing is spot on yeah it's an exceptional piece yeah. and it deserves all of its success it, it really, really does. does how how hard is it, and I'm sure this has happened, and of course you don't have to name names, but how hard is it when you um, are under the direction of somebody where you just artistically, bam, bam, not seeing it, not feeling it, and you have to soldier on. It's your job. Mm. It's like all of us have had a bad boss, but I feel like in the theater it's that much more intense if you have a director where you're just not meshing. Have you had that experience? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, over 25 years of doing it, you can imagine there's been lots of circumstances where I don't necessarily resonate with a director or I think a director is sort of off base in terms of what my opinions of how the show or the character should go. And the cool opportunity in the theater, at least the way I look at it, is I've made a life choice and I made it very early on that everything is happening for a reason and that... It's about perspective. So what can what could potentially be a really challenging thing? Yes, it might be challenging, but it's the perfect thing. It's an opportunity. It's the perfect opportunity to to become more compassionate, to find a compromise, to maybe go in a direction that I didn't that I like my ego says this isn't what I thought was best for the play. Maybe it's about exploring what I think is a dumb idea and maybe through exploring it I find out that that it's not at all that it's actually this unexpectedly brilliant idea and that my judgment of it was standing in the way. Or maybe it really is a dumb idea and by doing it Everyone, you know, maybe even the director's like, wow, that was kind of a dumb idea. So I feel like, you know, or maybe not. Maybe the director loves it, and I have to do that dumb idea every night. And that's just okay. Like, it's temporary. Nothing lasts forever. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's also hard to tell from the inside when you're an actor. Um, part of your job is to sort of be myopic. It's to 
look at um, the small pieces, you know, the breath. How do I breathe and get from this moment to this moment? It's like as an actor, we are, we are the interstitial pieces of a grand narrative arc. And the play, the big picture, we should be, in a, in a way, we should be unaware of it. Because we are just one little character in this much larger story. Even if you're the protagonist, you're still only aware of what you're aware of. Whereas the director's role in the theatrical world is to hold the big picture, is to sort of have every piece in mind, including the technical objectives and all of that. So there might be something that that director is saying to you that sounds so off base from your very myopic interstitial perspective. But when you kind of zoom out and look at the larger picture, it actually might have an internal logic that you weren't seeing because you are necessarily so focused singularly. So, you know, there's lots of ways of looking at it. And then sometimes, yeah, egos, there's lots of egos in, in the theater and in film and TV. And, you know, sometimes you just have to deal with outrageous characters who who make, who just do silly shit. And, um, and part of it is just patience. I, think. I always find it so ironic that uh, so many actors, and when I say actor, I mean female and male. It's my understanding that that encompasses all. Yeah. So yeah. I find it ironic when actors have these grand egos because to me that seems like it would convolute what they're trying to do to get out of one's own way to become this other person. It's literally the opposite of ego. So where does that disconnect come from? And especially if they're playing characters who are heartfelt or are empathic or are lovely or tyrannical for that matter, and they don't see their own tyranny within that, you know, it's, I find that fascinating. I guess I, I feel like actors get that sort of rap of, oh, they're all crazy because they've, they're playing so many different characters and they're all full of ego and all this stuff, but I can't imagine you can go through your life being these people and not as we were talking about earlier, take on those traits or have them inform you. So how come there's so many ego people? But I guess that's just the way it is. The ego is the ego, you know? Yeah. I mean, there is the actor's ego, and then there's also the character's ego. There's, um, there's a lot of people you know, in there. <laughs> there's a lot of people in there. And there's also the, the audacity and the courage and the the craziness that it takes to get weird like we started out talking about the terror of live theater that, that it takes such courage to stand up in front of thousands and thousands and thousands of strangers and basically cross your fingers and hope that everything goes well you know and that the story gets told and that you hit all the notes if it's a musical that you do the split if it's a dance show that whatever it is you're trying to attempt your fingers play all the notes on the keyboard or the guitar you know you practice and practice but anything can happen and so i think the ego is a fragile animal right and and it takes a lot of personal gumption to get up in front of thousands of strangers and do something that could could go off the tracks. And so I think that, you know, there are actors who have a healthy relationship with that, which I wouldn't, it's not necessarily ego, but it's courage or gumption in order to get up and do it. And that, that sometimes could translate into sort of a, you know, an overzealous courageousness in their normal life where that sort of, self-importance like look at me <laughs> see what i can do mm. kind of energy that it does take to get up and do that yeah. sort of they don't leave it at the stage door that it sort of goes into their everyday life and that you know there's neither a wrong or right it's just sort of you know how how we sort of 
deal with the it's almost like a um what do you call it like a career you know like a risk that every job has its risks right like you know there like any sort of work if you're working a forklift there's danger involved and i feel like one of the dangers or you know pitfalls of this career is is you know managing a relationship with your ego and the courage and gumption it takes to get up in front of strangers and then also if your character is an asshole mm-hmm. sometimes you can just be an asshole like it it kind of augments your own assholeness <laughs> and so for a period of time i mean i've played some really awful people and yeah during those runs of those particular plays or that particular TV show you know there are people in my life who are like I didn't want to be around you because you were more you were just acting like an asshole and you know that's also part of part of the craft is like learning how to let it go and as a younger actor maybe I didn't have as many tools in my toolbox or as a, as many experiences to figure out how to shed the ego of the character and allow my own sort of personness to come back in everyday life and um especially in film and tv you know that shit can read your mind it's like you know i i feel for people who act in film and tv a lot because there is a sense in that medium of beingness rather than acting you know that mm-hmm. the, the that embodiment it's well said it's like yeah and that the, the the line between self and character is often a lot more blurry in film and TV because you have to be thinking as you're, you know, it's really about the inside world of the, the psyche of the character. So there's, you know, there's this sort of potentially dangerous merging. That can and you happen. get the method, the really methody method actors, yeah. which I don't know, does that, are it sounds like you have that element to you, but I know that in film, certainly many actors they will stay in their character throughout the entire filming and never. Yeah. Did you see the uh, the Jim and Andy documentary? I did just watch that. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. and it's a great example yeah. exactly what I'm talking about. You know, and there are a lot of people who are like, fuck Jim, I don't want to be around him. He's fucking crazy. Even his friends, they're like, this isn't Jim, this is yeah. Andy. You yeah, know, but you get this outrageously incredible performance. Right. Daniel Day-Lewis, another example of like, you know, just method to the T. Mm-hmm. And it, it yields extraordinary work. To great I would sacrifice. Say. I mean, a lot of times mentally, physically, I don't, you know, again, it's one of those crafts where I think blithely people go and they watch a movie and they spend their $12 and they eat their popcorn and they're like, that was a great film, but they don't understand the toll that it likely took on the people performing and all around, you know, of course. It's not to say that you know, everyone from the gaffer, which I technically have no idea what that is, <laughs> too, but I love the word gaffer, from gaffer to director to actor, that everyone's playing their part, but that the the true, the toll that it takes emotionally. I mean, if you think about it, like me going through my everyday life, let's say I have a meeting with someone that I don't particularly like, but I have to do the meeting because of whatever, my job requires it. So I go to the meeting and I smile, and I am pleasant, and I am kind, and I am all those things. And I leave that meeting, I'm like, fuck. And <laughs> the emotional uh, fortitude that it takes for one hour, imagine now transferring that through an entire, what, three-month film project. It's got to be. It's got to take its toll. Oh, my Lord. I mean, yeah, there. 
it, it really is hard to describe. And of course, it depends on the role and the situation. And the, but, and the actor, I'm sure. And the actor, yeah. I did a film many years ago where I played, I played a very good human being who was trying to save his girlfriend from schizophrenia, and because he needed to stay up to do his research, he ended up getting addicted to meth, and it was out of this sort of loving um, impulse. But then he sort of became this monster, and um, and his life sort of fell apart, and. The, the period of the film where we were shooting the scenes where I was super crazy crunky, it was so intense. And like, I've never done meth. I, I would not do that. Um, there is no redeeming quality to that substance in my universe, but he did. And so I had my, you know, I, I ended up fasting for like five or six days. And then on the day of the shoot where I was doing all the crazy stuff, I just ate a handful of uh, chocolate covered espresso beans. <laughs> and because I hadn't eaten anything in six days, I went completely bonkers and we got great stuff, but it took me <laughs> months to get back to just sort of my, and maybe never, maybe it changed me forever. You know, it just sort of, it showed me a part of my, a part of my psyche that's like, you know, something I never thought was there. And, you know, it, it, yeah, th there is a toll that I think that certain characters can take on one's, one's life and all of that, um, that the audience doesn't necessarily have any idea is going on. And, and that's okay, you know? And that, that character, Gary, you know, he's a part of me. He's a part of me that I, um, <laughs> I sort of am not necessarily always wanting to, to hang out with, but, um, but he exists and that, and that's okay. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a very strange career and it, it's got its, it's got its beauty and it's got its hardship like any career, like any career. So how do you prepare other than, you know, not eating for meth, meth characters and things like that but and, and, and overdosing on caffeine, which seems like a good way to go. Um, how, personally, how do you, is there an overlying way you prepare? Obviously each character is going to require its different preparation. You already spoke to the fact that you research whatever motivates that person. Um, I've heard many actors talk about they create backstories in their minds or sometimes the writer of the play or whatever already has done that for you. But how do you go about it? And how the hell do you memorize all those lines? <laughs> um, yeah, it is different with each. Each process is different. Um, I would say that for me, it's about 90% imagination. You know, sort of exercising the muscle of my imagination. And that is probably why I cannot stop doing it. It's a, I love it. I love, I love using my imagination and I love um, exploring, you know, a whole other universe of life experiences that these other characters that I'm playing, what, what their life has been like. I think it's really interesting and it feeds it feeds all the other work I do as a composer and as a songwriter too and as a playwright um, so so I would say it's mostly imaginary in terms of the work um, 
And then, of course, there's lots of reading. You know, if you're playing a historical character,、mm. then you can, like Shackleton. I read as many books I could read about him to just see what people said about him, what he said about himself, what he said about his own experiences, and that has a wealth of of things to sort of spark your imagination and to guide your imagination.、Um, And so that's that's fun when there is a lot of sort of historical record to research,、mm-hmm. and then if there isn't, if you're playing a a, a completely fictional character, then I like to do research around their world. So, like, say they grew up in Detroit in 1960, I need to know what that was like, and so I go and watch movies that took place and or read books that take place there, and the littlest things can spark the most extraordinary elements of a performance, like. The, we're just remembering, like, oh, they had this big glass ashtray on their coffee table that was just filled with cigarettes, and people were just constantly smoking, and, and this thing was overflowing. I don't know why that image just popped into my head, but it seems pretty accurate in Detroit in the '60s that there could be this overflowing ashtray, and then like, what that sort of how that that little weird detail can sort of guide you in all sorts of different directions about how this person might.、Um, Walk through the world, their needs, wants, and desires, and、um, their quirks and quandaries, and all of that. So that's that. And then, in terms of how does one memorize lines, you know, I've done shows where I have very little to memorize, and I've had very a very hard time memorizing it when there's like not very much.、Mm. And for some reason, that can be really hard for me. And then I've done one man shows that are two and a half hours long, forty five different characters, six. Different re- German regional dialects, and you know, playing twelve different people on one page, and they're all talking to each other, and it's just me on stage. And and you know how I, for that show, I just I recorded myself saying all the lines, and I would listen to it constantly. So I was either reading, studying, or listening while I was brushing my teeth or making dinner, just listening to myself. So.、Um, So you know, you kind of create a feedback loop in order to memorize quickly.、Um, but every actor has their little, you know, their their little secrets,、um, the way they memorize lines. When you're writing a play, is it hard to write the play from the mind of a playwright versus the mind of an actor? Because I imagine it's a difference. Oh, that's such a great question. Yeah, I think I fall. That's so funny, and I might just be realizing that now. I think as a writer, I fall into the trap because I'm a practiced career actor. I fall into the trap of I get seduced by the characters, and I and I follow one track maybe too too. Uh, uh, focusedly, man, I don't even know if that's a word, but like,、Sounds、you know, I. <laughs> it's not a word.、Um, I I feel like yes, a, a playwright's job. Is much like a director's job in that it must look. One must look at the big picture and how all the pieces fit together, how all the characters fit together. The and playwright then think, is the god. Yeah, the playwright is creating the universe of that play, and so I think you know the playwright. Not that this. I mean, this, now that I'm saying this, it's quite daunting. I think the playwright has to be an incredible actor because they have to get inside the. Deep psychology of every single moment of their character and motivate everything that comes out of their mouth. They they must, and that there are no sort of arbitrary choices for a playwright. It must be, it must be guided meticulously. And and good playwrights, I think, are highly intelligent. And I, you know, 
and and have to look at the small picture and the big picture and have it all fit together and it's that's quite a feat man i have such deep yeah and i think like august wilson is a great playwright i love august wilson and and i think about that too you know that in some cases as you begin to write the play it must be too that the the characters themselves start taking over and then And they say, no, I want to do this. And you as the writer have to say, okay, well, fine. <laughs> you know? Or no, you don't get to do that. It is very Greek mythology, you know, kind of the, yeah. the pulling of the strings. and. It is, yeah. And whose agenda is it? Is it the playwright's agenda? Is it the character's agenda that's being fulfilled? Are, if, is the character an archetype? You know, is it... Is that character pulling from energy beyond just their own psyche? Are they some sort of, you know, collective unconscious thing that does want to be articulated in a certain way? So as a playwright, you're just the servant of their agenda. Or are you, you know, specifically channeling these characters into a specific pattern to tell a certain story? I guess there's different methods, you know, different ways of writing and and holding that container, the playground for all those characters. and. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of depends if you're if you're creating something brand new, it could go in any direction, you know. Yeah. If you're creating something based on something, then you know you have to kind of sculpt it according to what it's based on. And so There's I think it's just film. I recall seeing. I'm almost positive it was Emma Thompson, who I adore, and I want to say it was Jim Carrey, but it probably wasn't Jim Carrey. It might have been somebody else. I don't know why he comes to mind. Maybe because we were just talking about him, but where a playwright was writing in the play and they 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 were in real life behaving and they didn't even understand why they were behaving the way they did but they would behave whatever the playwright was writing i can't remember oh, what it, yeah. it called stranger than fiction that's it yeah who was in that with her i can't remember that's a great movie it really is, is. It- will ferrell maybe it was will ferrell could be could be. Could be. That's Could a be. great film. I think I watched that on a plane from L.A. to New York. It's a great film. It was and great. And a fun concept. And not unlike, you know, the the Plato, you know, of yesteryear where the gods are imparting their will and, and yeah. the mortals are like, what's happening? <laughs> Why am I oh. doing this? Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, the whole, like, the Hedvig in the Aristotle story where the... Where Oh, we just lost your voice. Just lost your voice. Oh, no. There you are. You're back. You're back. Okay, Hedwig, now what now? Well, like, the, you know how in, in Hedwig, the origin of love story where the humans get too powerful yes. and too, they challenge the gods too much, and so Zeus splits them into two. Yes. And that, I love that story. I do, too. I love all those stories, and they certainly explain a lot about human nature, don't they? You know? Seriously. Philosophers of yesteryear really knew what the hell they were talking about it's so true you know (laughs) they didn't have you know instagram getting in their way (laughs) they could think about things all right so the the most cliche question to ask in an interview what has been one of your favorite characters to play what character do you you know are you aspiring to play that you would really and uh, a favorite play and or playwright Big questions, but sort of cliche questions. But I'm always fascinated by what, you know. Yeah. I mean, I have a really hard time with superlatives. Think, you know, the favorite and the best and the most. I I um 
I've always had a hard time with it um, because I, when I'm doing something, that's usually my favorite thing. Sure. I understand <laughs> that completely. Yeah, it could be my optimistic spirit or whatever, but I, I, I just feel like this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and then the next thing I'm like, no, this is the coolest thing ever. And, uh, and so I, I have a great amount of enthusiasm for the project I'm currently working on <laughs> where I'm playing this sort of old rock and roll. I mean, old, he's, you know, 40 years old rock and roller. And, uh, and it's a two person brother, sister rock musical. Um, so I'm, I'm having a great time sort of delving into that and learning a lot of really complex guitar parts and, um, getting inside his universe is really fun. Um, but in terms of past characters that I've played, I would say Shackleton is at the top of the list um, for numerous reasons. Um, it was a really amazing play to be a part of. I got to sing my face off. My co-star was incredible. And the character, that's a, you know, that's a human being I could explore for the rest of my life in terms of his optimistic spirit, his leadership qualities. Um, you know, I never would never get tired of, of, of embodying that and, and exploring that character. Hedvig and the Angry Inch, Hedvig is also so good, so incredibly complex and, you know, for the longest period was definitely my favorite thing. It's such a beautiful uh, story, too. Uh, I mean, just rip your heart out. It's so beautiful. So beautiful. And just for innumerable reasons, that yeah. play, that play, I think, is one of the best things I've been a part of. And... Um, and really did, you know, it was just incredibly profound. Um, so I really love that character. Um, things I want, I've, I've gotten to play, you know, I, I read uh, Angels in America when I was like 14 years old. I read it in the bookstore in uh, Ashland, Oregon, Bloomsbury Books. And, uh, and I cried and cried and cried and cried and cried and freaked out and couldn't believe that this play existed and that this character prior existed. And when I was 14, I thought, I want to play that part. Like, that is something I must do. And I sort of carried that with me until the year I played Dracula, actually, in Indiana. Um, 2011, I got cast as Pryor in Angels in America. And my soon-to-be husband got cast as Lewis. And so we played opposite each other in this play that I wanted to... Before you met, or you had already been betrothed? We had met, but I mean, we'd been together for some okay, time. Okay, got we had it. Not, right. We had not gotten married yet. Okay. Um, and so it was just this extraordinary dream come true for me um, in terms of cast and character. So that was very fulfilling. Other characters I want to play. I mean, my passion right now is new work, mm. is creating new characters. So uh, there are lots of characters in the canon I could sort of rattle off that I would like to play, but if I'm being completely honest, I'm much more interested in originating parts and working with the playwrights and composers on crafting a new a new human, a new character, mm -hmm. and and that is what I'm doing a lot of. So uh, a show that's going to London next year that I'm going with is uh, I'm playing Carl Tanzler, this extraordinarily strange scientist who has this remarkably bizarre tale that has become sort of famous. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm originating that character, and then this guy that I'm playing, this rock and roller. Um, so mostly new work, I think. And then I can't remember the third part of your question was something and I can't remember. Uh, I think it was a play that you uh, wish to be in or even a film. I guess we've, we've concentrated more on the play aspect um, but I'm good with either if there's any character specifically but you kind of answered that by saying you're drawn more to the new folks that haven't been created yet. 
Yeah, I know that's not necessarily a satisfying answer. And in terms of film and TV, that's the same thing. I feel like I want to be, you know, I've been going in a lot for, you know, series regulars on a new television show. So I'd be part of sort of creating and crafting the, the, the original, you know, this character. Um, and that really, that's really exciting to me. And the medium of TV in terms of like, there's just such a wealth of content right now. Mm-hmm. And really good television content, long form narrative stories being told in these really creative and extraordinary ways. And I think a lot of exceptional writing is happening on television. And I, I, I really love the format of doing a, you know, a different episode every week. So it's never the same thing twice. Um, and constantly learning something new. And, and also, in that newness every week, crafting a performance for the camera that it is ultimately spontaneous. Mm. And th- that really, that really, really excites me. And so I, I feel like that's, you know, right around the corner in terms of next career stuff. Do you have a preference for comedy versus dramatics? I heard, I can't remember who said it, uh, that death is easy, comedy is hard. <laughs> that old saying. Do you, do you know who said that originally? I'll have to look it up. I can't remember. I don't. It I might have been say. Goldie Hawn, or probably somebody oh, yeah. way before her. But I seem to think of it being attributed to her because she knows she's she's a comic genius, and yeah. had to play these ditzy, you know, spazzy whatever <laughs> characters when she's obviously not that. And I imagine to be able to to sort of let yourself go to that extent is not it's not easy. Comic timing is not easy. I do too. So, you know, I have a story about her. I ran into her at a juice bar in New York at Westerly. Westerly! And um, <laughs> and she ordered a juice. It was probably, you know, it's Manhattan, so it was exorbitantly expensive. It was probably $14 for her thing of juice. She tipped the guy $40 in cash in, his, in the cash jar, and he had no idea who she was. And I just, I, I thought, you know what? That is absolutely incredible. Awesome. I just love her. Yeah, I love her too. I just talk about a spirit. Her spirit is beautiful. I just yeah. uh, rewatched the First Wives Club. So much fun. Nice. Yeah. yeah Christmas time. Um, well, how can people find you? Um, the, I, or I have should a... they be able to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're on I, socials I... and stuff. I guide people to whatever project I'm working on through my website, which I, I call Wade Song, like singing a song, wadesong.com. Um, and that has some of my music and my albums and the musical that I've been working on. Um, and and I usually, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm remembering to, I update it with whatever project I'm currently working on and where it is. I'll put that. a link to it, wadesong.com. Not, it's not plural, right? Just song, S-O-N-G? Just one song. One yeah. song. <laughs> one long song. <laughs> Hopefully it's long. <laughs> Wade, you're a delight, and I'm so excited to meet you in real life, which I know is coming somewhere down the pike, although we'll be we'll be two ships passing in the night when I go to New York, unfortunately, but hopefully we'll get to see each other in real life soon maybe in nashville because i'll be coming to do some recording very soon oh good okay wonderful thank you it's been such a pleasure to talk to you i really appreciate it you too thank you so much yeah it's great and all the luck in the world break a leg as they say and uh safe journeys and all that good stuff thank you ditto 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 you're incredible you're absolutely incredible bye (laughs) bye see ya